Hey everyone, uh, welcome to The Start. I'm Patrick. And I'm Nick. This episode we're with Avi Flambaum. Avi is the dean and founder of Flatiron School, um, a code school based here in New York City. Um, this conversation with Avi was really, really interesting, and I think you guys will quickly learn that he is a very intense and passionate man, not only about his craft, but about education as well. This episode is brought to you by Plasso. Plasso makes payments super simple. If you're selling things like headbands or ceremonial flags, or you just want to get paid for things, Plasso is for you. Head to plasso.co, that's with a C-O, to sign up for free and start making money. This is The Start. mom was a teacher um, and okay. she would tutor people after school so I'd have to wait um, you know from like three to six every night and mm-hmm. uh, I was like in third grade or fourth grade and my school had like one computer it was like an Apple IIe and I would sit there and just play like uh, all the, like the command line games like um, nibbles and snake and stuff and uh, eventually I, I started opening up the source code it was written in basic it was kind of readable I started hacking the games and making them more difficult um, and kind of figured out how to like plot and like draw things with code. Um, and just got curious about it. Um, and then I remember I took like at the community center, I took a programming class also like in basic. Um, and I was always kind and of how old, interested. how old were you when you took? Sorry, I was I probably mean, like 11. I must have been like in okay. third or fourth grade. Um, okay. And then I remember, you know, uh, a few of the friends in the neighborhood had like a BBS, which was like, um, you know, a computer with like eight modems and we'd all dial into it and like share games um, via that. So I was kind of always really interested in technology or I liked I liked playing on my computer. And then, uh, yeah, I remember when the internet came out, uh, I signed on to it and I was like, this is going to be, this is going to be big. <laughs> yep. And uh, did you have to, uh, did you have to convince your mom or anybody else, like your parents just in general to get uh, like dial up? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I remember the first time I signed on the internet was definitely in school, like from the library. Um, okay. With like a like a CompuServe or a Prodigy account, um, and uh, I mean, my whole life, my parents never really, um, I kind of, I was never really encouraged to do the computer thing. Like, I come from a pretty traditional family, like where there's kind of three jobs: you can be a lawyer, a banker, or a doctor. Okay. Um, and uh, my, uh, you know, so like, I, I mean, my whole life, I remember always people tell me like, stop wasting your time on the computer, like stop playing computer, learn, study, get get good grades. Playing computer. Um, playing computer. I mean, they, I it was it. tough. Like, you know, I, I grew up, like, right before the, the – I don't think that, like, being a developer or, like, you know, startups, like, that wasn't really a thing. So, like, everyone around me had no context for what I was trying to become. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I think, like, a lot of people, like, um, um, like Jeffrey Zeldman and, like, Cameron Mole and, like, these, like, prolific kind of – let's call them Web 1.0 visionaries. Like, I remember reading their books and seeing their careers and really having a sense of, like, okay, well – you know, Jeffrey Zeldman is a person, right? And he's got this amazing book and he's got Happy Cog and he's got a career doing the kinds of things I love doing. I'm going to be okay because that's what I want to be. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. so while like everyone else around me didn't kind of understand what I was trying to do, um, because there was no context for it, like it just wasn't a thing. Um, I, I, you know, seeing the people and like what was going on in technology kind of gave me a kind of like a compass. So I, I knew that what I was doing mattered. Um, and I just thought the internet was just so exciting. I mean, you know, I, I feel really like, I mean, I, I just imagine people who don't understand technology, um, they probably live in this world where they know that they're, they're missing out on something like infinite and important because we live in such an exciting time where like technology is revolutionizing and disrupting and changing everything. Um, mm-hmm. and it's like, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's an amazing time to, we're so privileged to be able to, to be alive today and, and watch all this take place. And how could you not want to be involved in that? Like, you know, I just worry about people that just feel left out and feel like it's beyond them and they can't contribute or they can't even understand it. And that's got to be like so saddening to, to watch the world around you being transformed and not being able to even contextualize it in any meaningful manner. Um, I imagine that's pretty painful. I worry about that. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's interesting. We, we touched on it on another interview we did in a, in a slightly different way. It was more about the idea of privilege and the fact that we have opportunity to do such great things, but we don't sort of use those tools and powers to uh, bring those great things to others who don't have it. So we were, I mean, the, the easy example is like, you know, there's people in third world countries who don't have internet use. Um, and we have the power to help bring that to them, which is, I mean, that's a little bit more of a, I guess, a political thing than what you're talking about, but I think it's of a similar vein. Yeah. So, yeah. So I signed on to the net and I started, you know, immediately wanting to build websites. I think I made like, um, the, that community center, I went to the Riverdale Y, um, and, uh, I made them their website when I was in eighth grade for an exchange for like a dial up account. Um, so they, oh, nice. they gave me a dial up account. I made them a website and then, so wait, it was, you said it was the Riverdale YMCA. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess at, at the time, um, and I only say this now, cause if you go to the YMCA's website now, it's all, it's all pretty, uh, like standardized. Like, you know, it's all running off the same, probably YMCA, configurations and stuff so this was way before that i guess they were sort of doing their own show yeah this was um it was it's it's riverdale y.org um, ah, that was it's still there it's still it's still online i did not make this website although it is pretty it's not it's not awful but at some point and i can i can look at like archive.org and see if i can find the version of it that i made like in eighth grade yeah. um that'd be awesome <laughs> i'm just checking give me a second riverdale yeah um, so yeah, I, I made them, crazy. I made them that website and then throughout high school, I was always just kind of looking for things to build or things to program. Um, I, I really wanted to be a writer and my high school wouldn't, um, they wouldn't, uh, let me write for the, like, uh, like journal. Um, why not? Why? Yeah. Because I, I went to like, I mean, a religious high school and, uh, I did not get along with anyone there. Um, and there, gotcha. you know, you like you have, there's, there was a like a creative writing magazine and you had to apply and like write story, uh, like to write for it. And you know, they would just always reject my stories. So I wanted to, so I figured I just put them on, I, I figured I would just put them on the internet, you know? Yeah. And, um, so I had a, you know, blogger didn't exist. So publishing uh, at first I just started like throwing up like static HTML pages, but eventually as I started writing more and like, especially like kind of like blogging or writing daily, um, that, that didn't work. Um, and, uh, I, I learned about databases and I kind of built a little blog engine with like a user system and like a publishing platform. So then I started writing online a lot and doing a lot of fun things. Like I remember um, 
for my prom date, I ran a contest on my website where you applied to be my, <laughs> you applied to be my prom date, and people would vote on the submissions. Um, and wow. that was pretty fun. I'll That's back awesome. Over. That sounds like an app that would work right now. It, yeah, really well. Yeah, um, that went over pretty Good. well. Uh, although, um, I, I like I, I fixed it so that my girlfriend won because she was pretty upset that I forced her to apply. Um, <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, so. I could see. I could. That's not a conversation I'd want to have. That's Tinder for prom dates. I yeah. Love it. So then, um, <laughs> then when I was like sixteen, um, I got like a, my parents wanted to send me to SAT camp, and I really didn't want to go to SAT camp. So I told them that I was going to get a job and they were kind of, they threw down like this goal and they were like, okay, if you don't get a job by July 1st, you have to go to SAT camp. And of course they, in their minds, they were like, no one, no one is going to hire a 16 year old kid. Um, but of course it was like, right. It was like right during the dot com like bubble. Um, and I started like, I remember looking at the New York times and like the want ads and looking for jobs for like programmers or like computer administrators, that kind of thing. And I mm-hmm. started applying for jobs, and uh, eventually I, I found this company called CityFeet.com, which was like a commercial real estate company. They thought I was – they expected me to be like in my mid-20s, you know, when mm-hmm. I came to the yeah, interview. They, yeah. And they thought I was really funny. Um, they thought it was just – like they couldn't believe that I was just like a 16-year-old kid with like a Razor scooter trying to apply for jobs. Um, and uh, they yeah, hired me. They, they paid awesome. me like $10 an hour, and I, I wrote an ASP, and um, I built like um, a wow. – like a banner um, rotation system for like they they were running ads on like the New York Times and stuff. So I worked there that summer. I started learning how to code better, and then kind of throughout high school, I'd always end up working for City Feet whenever like I had a break and stuff. Um, so I did not go to gotcha. SAT camp, which was the moral of the story. So what did um? Well, I guess two things. It sounds like uh, this company City Feet they they realized that they had a pretty good opportunity in front of them. Like they probably paid you substantially less than they would pay someone yeah. who's you know, an adult at the time, and it sounds like you probably had the same skills it required. I mean, but um, yeah. What um, what did uh, when you went home, like, hey, mom, dad, uh, I got a job. Right. So they didn't <laughs> what, believe. What me. was their response? They didn't believe me. They came into the office the next day, and like asked my boss, like, is this a real thing? Like, did you really hire our son? Um, <laughs> which was actually my mom. My mom has done that. And listen, I love my mom. She's she's an amazing. She's an amazing person, um, but she's done that a few times. When I dropped out of college to work at the hedge fund, um, she did the same thing. She came to the hedge fund and like made sure it was real and existed, and that I wasn't just making it all up. Um, wow. So, uh, you know, I mean, again, like where they grew up, they just had no context for that. Um, yeah. So I worked at City Feet, and then um, when I got to college, um, I, I – uh, made this I made like a static website like a front page for this hedge fund in New York called the Whitehaven Group um, and uh, they liked me they thought I was pretty funny and uh, throughout one, for like two and a half years in college whenever they needed something small built they'd always call me and I'd build it from Wisconsin and then send it to them and then I would I would work there over the summer and then the summer of my sophomore year I built them this program to manage their investments and lawsuits um, and they really liked that, and they started using it, and the fund got really big, really fast. And then they offered me a job my junior year. Wow. Like, uh, were you uh, were you studying uh, computer science in college? No, I was studying creative writing and film. Um, I wasn't oh, wow. really doing much in college. Um, I was mostly just partying and putting on plays and writing code. Nice. Um, I never went to class. Um, and it's, I mean, yeah, it's. I was talking to Adam, my co-founder, about this, but it's funny because. Looking back on my life, it seems like everything has led me to this point. 
Like I hated mm-hmm. school. I thought it was so ridiculous and I thought it was mm-hmm. so it made no sense and everyone around me told me that I was just being difficult. Um but I was totally like uh, you know I was right on like basic levels like that grades just don't make any sense. Right. Um yep. if anyone can explain to me what is the value of measuring a person into one number or one letter grade, I'd love to hear that argument because I think that people are way more complex and diverse than a number. So why do we reduce them to one? Right. And so then let's ask another question. Where does that even because ideas come from somewhere, right? The world we live in was built by people. Right. So where did the idea of grades come from? And it came from Prussia in the 18th century. The Prussian oligarchy wanted to create um, a state of workers. They wanted to classify people for manual label or intellectual work. So they came up with this idea. Let's give them grades like, you know, Aldous Huxley, Brave New World. Let's give them grades. And if you don't have a good enough grade, you'll work in factories. Why do we still use that system? We know that it was designed to subjugate people. And we just, we just are complicit in it every day. Like, oh, yeah, well, that's all we have. So let's just continue doing it. And, like, imagine when you're a kid, you get, like, a bad grade. And how do you feel about yourself? And suddenly you've been reduced and judged. And, you know, you lower your own expectations. It's just yeah. bad. It, like, it doesn't make any sense. And we do it all the time. And I remember, like, growing up, like, yelling at my teachers about all this stuff and they'd just be like, you're, you're being ridiculous. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, there's a line I love in one of the interviews I read about you when you were teaching with Skillshare was that you said if someone didn't get it or didn't do a good job on something, it was you always took the blame for it, not right. the student, because that just was proof that you didn't explain it properly to that particular person, you know, not that they didn't get it. And I think that's, that's the mindset. That's yeah. the complete mindset shift that needs to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, Adam, also my founder, was looking at like my old website from high school, and he found the story that when I was in um, senior year, you, you either take art or music, and it's a pass-fail class, and I took art. And on the first day, my art teacher told me I was hopeless. And then on the last day, we <laughs> on had... the first day? Yeah. Um, um, and <laughs> then, you know, the last, the final project, she told us that like we could make any piece we wanted, and because we were the artists now, we could decide when it was done. So I like I drew like three big triangles and I turned that in and she was like, this isn't done. And I was like, yeah, it is like, you know, I'm the artist. I decided it's done. And she's like, you've learned, you know, you've learned nothing all year. And I was like, no, I learned that I'm hopeless. And she was like, uh, well, what did you expect me to say? And I was like, I don't know, maybe teach me things. And she was like, uh, you can't teach art. And then I asked her, well, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, I remember that moment, like, you know, when an art teacher told me that you can't teach art. That's like, I mean, well then, okay, what, well then, what are you doing? What is your job title exactly, art teacher, if you can't teach it? <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, That's it was just, wild. That's fantastic. You know, it was just like, I really, I, my entire like school educational experience always felt surreal and miserable. Like high school was easily the worst time of my life. Every day since then has been better. And I just like, <laughs> I mean, man, we just continue punishing all these kids and all these people by putting them in the system that treats them, you know, like a number where education is about memorization. You just rob any sense of curiosity and, you know, passion from them by stressing them out and isolating them. And, you know, it's just, it's awful. It's so bad. I can't believe that the world actually, like, we're successful despite our education. Mm. Yeah. Um, Avi, have you ever read um, uh, Paulo Freire? I think that's how you say his name. Or Bell Hooks? Nope. Uh, you should check out Paulo Freire. His book is Pedagogy of the Oppressed. So he grew up in like the slums of Brazil in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and he ended up being like this really, really, really smart dude. I'm finding the link now. I'll put it in the show notes, but I'll also give it to you guys. So the book um, talks about education as a form of oppression mm-hmm. um, in that schools and most educational institutions are set up the same way militaries are. There's someone who runs it, and then right. there's people that right. fall in below. And yep. at the bottom are students somewhere. Um, and he relates it to slavery yeah. in that um, there's always this resentment and angst between the slave and then the um, slave owner or the person watching over um, the manual labor. And in this, you know, if you're relating it back to his book, it's the students and the teachers. Yeah. In that, the students always feel like they're in a position where um, there's resentment because there's a, they are being oppressed by the teacher who has to enact authority at particular times. So it's like this weird balance where they have to be an authoritative figure um, and dole out punishments at, at particular times throughout the course um, to enable their authority through the students. And then the students on the flip side have like this angst and resentment against their teachers because yeah. they're doling out punishments and authority. So they never actually build a proper relationship to really enable education and learning. It's always this um, this friction that like if I don't do it your way, then you're going to punish me. But I don't want to do it your way because it's your way. It's not my way. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. That, it's fear-based. Um, yeah. So Paul Freud is is, is a, that, uh, a Pedagogy of the Oppressed is a fantastic book. And then from him came Bell Hooks. So Bell Hooks is a feminist. She grew up in like the sticks of Kentucky, went to Stanford. She's written books on education, on uh, women's rights, on classism. But she has other books. Uh, I forget the book that I read from her. I'm going to look this one up too because this book actually is what got me on to Paulo Freire. Um, I believe she has one book called Teaching a Transgress, Education as a Practice of Freedom. And yeah. obviously that comes I think from more so her background. And then Teaching Community, A Pedagogy of Hope. Um, her books are fantastic. It, it, you know, it talks about um, more so about educate, educating to enlighten individuals to really fulfill themselves. Yeah. So I, you know, if you were to take this and make it applicable to you, it would probably be something along the lines of teaching people how to program to really just um, embrace themselves and, and um, display their personality and, and the things that they enjoy through technology. Right. But both, both authors I think are fantastic. It actually shifted uh, my way of thinking in college just because it was like – I remember I sat in a class one day where um, – because I was sort of a troubled kid in middle school and I got kicked out of school and it didn't really dawn on me. Some There was a kid from Columbia who was um, – he had recently come to the States and he was like, oh, this stuff's stupid. And I looked at him. I was like, dude, I was like, have you ever been told that you like weren't good enough to edu- to be educated or that yeah. like you're not allowed to be in school? He's like, no. I was like, well, when that happens, let me know because until then you're not really going to understand it because, you know, I had been kicked out for some <clears> dumb <throat> stuff. Yeah, me too. And I like – so it was like – and when they kick you out, they're like, no, you you can't. No, you're not accepted here anymore. And it's pretty – it's a pretty low blow. Yeah. Um, but it changes your – I mean after that happened, I became a straight-A student and I sort of learned um, – I learned the game of school because I had a dean who was like – he's like, you're no use to us. He's like, you don't get good grades, so we can't use you. And I was like, oh, OK. So that's, that's the ticket? So I got straight A's and I did whatever I wanted. And I just looked at him. I was like, I give you a 3.8 GPA. I help raise your stats and you get money from the government. I'm not going to go to class today. And they couldn't do shit about it. It was great. Yeah. It was a bad use of, of understanding, you know, the system, but still it worked out. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's, uh, you know, most of like, it's funny. I, 
because I mean, most of our educational system is actually based on on the Prussians, which again yeah. were designed literally to subjugate a lower class, and we just mm-hmm. you know, and that's yeah, that that teacher that, that teacher student dynamic is so off, and like on one level they're your coach, and then they're also your judge, right? They yeah. they they have to teach you, and then they have to grade you, which is totally that's such a conflict, like inherently in the system, but you know. Um, I mean, and also, you know, in terms of like flat iron, the more we think about it, um, we love, we, I, I love being vocational. Like I love giving people like a real skill, but I really think that we're trying to figure out ways to, um, empower people through education so that we, you know, teaching you how to program or teaching you how to design, um, we try to like gain wisdom through craft, um, so that, you know, we really try to not like, I think that like, teaching people how to code is kind of like the lowest bar. Um, we really want people to kind of rediscover their passion and their curiosity and, you know, what knowledge feels like. Um, and like, we just do that through code. Yeah, no, that's that cool. makes total sense. So, so why don't we... Uh, yeah, let's uh, bring it back to, you had just, you're at the investment, uh, or the investment company had just extended you an offer. Yep. So uh, I was 20. Um, I dropped out of college. I started working in this hedge fund. Um, I never, you know, my whole, I never really thought I was going to be a programmer. I thought I was going to be some sort of writer or artist. But when I was at the hedge fund, I was living with my parents. I had no friends. I was 20, and I was working like 12 hours a day, and I was just writing code all day, every day. And it was the first time I really got a chance to do that kind of professionally, like with like a team and with resources. And, and how'd that make you feel? So I remember the moment when I realized how much I love coding. Um, I, I, like, I left work at like 11, and I was like an hour subway ride to my parents' house. Um, and when I got on the subway, I, I was like, I mean, I had this, like, there was this bug that I was working on all day, and I couldn't fix it. And I get on the train, and I'm, like, you know, it's, like, 11 o'clock at night. I'm so tired. I'm, I ride the subway for now, and I get off, and it's, like, it's pouring rain. And I'm walking to my parents' house, and I'm getting, like, soaked, and I'm drenched. And as I'm walking, I, I figure out how to fix this bug. And I was, like, so happy. And I was so excited to wake up at, like, 6 in the morning and get be the first one in the office and fix this bug. <laughs> and that's when I knew I was like, oh my god! Like if you're if you're doing something for twelve hours a day and you're happy, you love doing that. Like that's yeah, your life. That's a good feeling. I'm and surprised then, you didn't run back to the office to go fix the bug right down there. Um, and then so then when I realized how much I enjoyed this, um, I, I then my next my next thing was to get really great at it. Like I realized that I wasn't I wasn't writing software in a modern way, and I was kind of like a cowboy just doing whatever I wanted. I wasn't using best practices. Um, so I started like reading a ton of books and really trying to like become a professional at this. Um, so I was at the fund for four years. Um, I built a lot of stuff. Eventually I became the CTO and had a lot of, um, cool resources. Um, and, uh, after I did that for four years, we eventually moved to .NET and C Sharp. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't really like those languages. I started playing with Ruby. I always wanted to try a startup. Um, so, uh, a friend of mine who's an architect was showing me how he worked and how they find building products. And I was like, this is stupid. Why isn't there just like a Google for, for building products? He was like, that's a good mm-hmm. idea. Can you build that? So we, sh- we I, built a, <laughs> I built a prototype and we showed it to his boss and his boss was like, yeah, I'll give you guys some money. So we nice. put together nice. like a small board, um, and, uh, we started designer pages, which is like, um, a product catalog for architects and interior designers to find and manage building products. So I did that for like four years. That was really great. Um, I learned how hard it is to start a business and to actually make money, but you know, we kept at it. And after four years, the company became profitable. 
Um, and uh, then at that point, though, I was like 28, and I was pretty burnt out. And I just wanted to like take a year off and like kind of relax and see what I wanted to do next. So at that point is when you met me. Mike, Mike from Skillshare just launched it. And he was like, I need someone to teach a programming class. You're not doing anything all day. Because literally I was doing nothing. I was just <laughs> sitting around going to like 10 yoga classes a day. Like that's what I was doing. So Mike was like, just teach, teach this programming class. And I was like, dude, no one, no one is going to come to my programming classes. Yeah. Did you know Mike Pryor? Yeah, I, I knew Mike from the startups like community. Um, we had, gotcha. okay. we had this, there's this like poker game that we all play at. Um, so I met him a couple of years before that. So I started this, you know, really just to help Mike out. I, I did that Ruby on Rails, like it was a two hour class, and it was like just this whirlwind tour of like Rails, and people liked it. And then I taught that like eight times over the summer, and I had like a hundred people had taken that class, and they were emailing me like more questions, like I want to learn more about this or how do I do that. And I told Mike that, and Mike was like, okay, you should do like a course. You should do like a five-week, like meet like twice a week, and then like actually teach them how to code over like five weeks. You'll have like 20 students, and they'll, you'll, they'll, you'll charge them each $500, and you'll make like 10 grand a month, and you'll work like seven hours a week. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, there's, I remember I, we were right outside um, that taco place on like Lafayette Street when he told me that, because I was like, Mike, there's no way that's possible. Like... <laughs> Right. But, you know, I thought about it and I post, I, I, when I got home, I I'd, I'd kind of designed the course. And the way, I, the way I did it was I thought about what would I want a student knowing um, when they left and then I started work, working backwards and kind of filling in what, Smart. okay, if that's what they leave on hour 30, they know how to do this. What do they know on 29, 28? Yeah. So I posted the course. It sold out in like three hours. Holy cow. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, my plan was, so that was, it was like, November probably like 2011 or something or 2010 and I was going to go um, in January I was going to go to Nicaragua for like a few months and surf and hang out um, and my plan was that I would do this course and then I would go to Nicaragua. So I, um, I'm teaching this course and it's pretty fun and I have this one student that was like an IT consultant so he would do like printer setups and things like that um, and he took the class super seriously and did all the homework. Um, I, I would do this thing like office hours where I would just be at a coffee shop on Friday. And if you wanted to come mm-hmm. ask questions, you can come. And I only did that because I, I didn't think anyone would do it. Like I didn't think anyone yeah. would actually come to office hours. But people came. And Stephen was the student that would just – he would come at, in the morning and sit next to me at the coffee shop all day. And in between sessions, he would just ask me questions. Um, and he took the class really seriously. And after five weeks, he could really code. Um, and That's awesome. So uh, it was like December, I'm about to, I'm getting ready to go to Nicaragua, and before I left, like, I don't know, you know, if it was a movie, it would happen, like, on the way to the airport. I emailed yeah. a friend of mine, I was like, hey, there's this guy I want you to meet, he's one of my students, he's a really good programmer, I think, I know that you're hiring, I think you should talk to him. Um, and so I sent off that email, and then I'm in Nicaragua, and I check my email for the first time in, like, three weeks, um, and, uh, I have an email from Steven and he's like, I got that job. Like I'm making twice as much money. Like I have, I could support my family. Like I have this whole career that I'm looking forward to every day. Like, thank you so much. Your class changed my life. And I was like, okay, uh, this teaching thing is kind of cool. Um, yeah, that's amazing. So I canceled my trip. Um, and I, I came back to the city and I started, I, I started teaching as much as possible. Cause I, again, I, I, I realized I wanted to get good at it. Right. Um, so I just started doing like corporate training. Um, I taught at General Assembly. I taught like at Skillshare classes. I just wanted to like teach as much as possible. 
Um, and then in every class I would do, there would always be like four or five students that would like self-organize into like a study group and like take it really seriously. And what I would do is I would take on contract work and I would subcontract it to the students and I would mentor them through the job. And then, I, then oh, inevitably wow. the client would get them hired. So I did that for like six months and I placed like 10 or 12 students that way. Um, and then I met Adam over the summer. Um, and he was like, I told him this story and he was like, you should start a school. And I was like, that's crazy. No one is going to come into my school. <laughs> Once again, there you go. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and then I, I went home. And uh, I, again, I, I mean, you know, Adam and I joke about this, but I, I emailed him at like six in the morning and I was like, dude, I can't sleep. Like, I, I think that we could do this. Like, I have this idea. And I sent him like a massive text file, um, like with like all the ideas for how our school would run. It was called programmingschool.txt. Um, and <laughs> it made no sense, but. <laughs> um, that was the birth of Flatiron, and uh, that's crazy. That's how I ended up here, and again, like it's weird because it, it, you know, looking back, it does. It seems like everything in my life, like, like this was like I, I don't know, like it feels like destiny that I get to do this because I really, I love programming and I, I really love showing people like what the career is like and what the craft is like, and you know. I mean, I don't know what my plan was when I was in college because I was really doing awful. Like, I was like a C-minus student. I had failed a bunch of classes. It was probably going to take me like six years to graduate. And I just think like, you know, there is nothing. There's, your only option is college. There is no alternative. Mm-hmm. Like, being a dropout is so difficult. And I'm like so fortunate and lucky to have this amazing career and like, you know, be financially stable. But like... You know, I would never tell people to drop out of college. Like, it's terrifying. You are entirely on your own with no network, and you just have to figure out how not to be broke. Um, yeah, and basically. That can't be the way. Like, college is not the solution for everybody, but it's not that you shouldn't go to college. It's just there needs to be an alternative. There needs to be something else you can do that will teach you and grow you up and give you a network and connect you to, you know, jobs and people. And you, um, you know what's funny about that is is there were right so there were there were these in high school especially and there still are um, these alternative vehicles for like mechanic work like vocational schools vocational schools exactly right. and and it's so funny how like the mentality toward those versus oh no you know versus going to the traditional high school and then the traditional college right. and learning a, you know a traditional skill it's just yep. The, the mindset between the two is, is yeah. bad. I mean, dare I say, at least in my back in my town, it was a kind of a negative. Right. It, you know, you were looked at negatively if you decided to go that route. When in reality, why? Yep. Yeah. So that yeah. that um, so right. So that's what you know. One thing we want to do with Flatiron is really create like a very high end vocational school, right? So it's not a vocational school for like you know kind of let's call them you know uh, blue collar crummy jobs, right? Mm-hmm. But like a vocational school for amazing jobs, like designer or product manager or programmer, right? Great careers. Um, and, you know, that, that, that mindset of w- w- when did vocational schools get looked down on? Where did that come from? Because that's also a thing. Um, vocational yep. schools come from the Greeks. Um, and it was, you know, it was the upper class, the really rich Greeks that thought that, that working was like beneath you. Manual labor, yeah. Right. And because obviously the Greeks, they had slaves. They didn't, they never needed to work. <laughs> yeah. So that's where it comes from, that like this idea that, that there's something to be looked down on or if your education is entirely vocational, that's like – that's not in pursuit of knowledge or truth. is total crap. It's just mm-hmm. – you know, again, it's, it's, it's this – it's a stigma that we have from hundreds of years of bad ideas that we don't change, that work yeah. or labor or vocational training isn't as good as like sitting around and debating philosophy. I mean it's just crap and like – yeah, I can't get over it. Like, I'm just, I'm really, 
I, I never I never set out to like uh, kind of disrupt education or do that. Like I just I like teaching. I like getting people jobs. It never it never we never started the school with like a larger vision of let's let's tear the system down. But the more that I learn about education and the more that I read about like teaching and where all this stuff comes from and how these systems were designed, oh my god, I'm so excited to just burn it down. It needs have to Have you ever have you noticed <laughs> or thought about the fact that you are a um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said you got kicked out of school once and a college dropout. Yeah, and you're creating your own school, right? So I mean, it's there's a the universe. It seems has a sense of irony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, you know it, it'd be one thing if you got kicked out for behavior, right? And you're just a bad kid picking fights and being disruptive for for no good. But it sounds like deep in your core, it it was more of questioning the uh, uh, the status quo based on quality and what. You know, yeah, what I mean, they're actually trying was, to pursue. That was getting kicked out for behavior. I mean, like, people told me, like, I mean, in high school, I was considered a really bad kid. <laughs> like, also, yeah, I was but were, I was, you, were you bad because you were disruptive or were you bad because you were fighting other kids? You know uh, what I mean? Like, well, I guess, I guess no, that's what totally I meant. Not, no, I was disruptive. I would question the status yeah. quo all the time. Like, and again, like, you know, people thought I was ridiculous. Like, when I'd be like, I don't understand, why do we have grades? Like, what, what, why do we have homework? It's really boring. Why can't I work with other people? Yeah. Why is that considered cheating? You know, what? Why, uh, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. it's just so, and everyone just always thought I was just crazy, you know? And, like, I'm, you know, yeah, just, I, I didn't want to be part of that system. Like, it wasn't fun for me. And uh, that, that, A, made me think that I was stupid because I didn't do well in school and I got in trouble a lot, which made me think that I, I just must not be smart or I'm broken. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, when I got to college, it was easier because I went to University of Wisconsin. It was so massive. No one even knew who I was. So like the fact – when I never went to class, I never got in trouble because, you know, you don't have like a teacher there. So I was just kind of partying and, I, you know, I wasn't – got to, yeah. yeah, I got to do whatever you wanted. And it's funny because like I was always a really curious and smart kid. Like I love learning. I love knowledge. But that is not what school is about. Like don't even – I have no patience for teachers that, that, that try to tell me that the way they teach in those 50-minute Swiss cheese classes is about mm-hmm. knowledge. Yeah. And again, With by no the way – No workshop or anything. Let's talk about so – here's another thing that makes no sense in education, right? So we know the cost of context switching, right? Going from task A to task B, right? If I have to write code and then I have to go to a meeting, I'm less effective at both of them, right? There's power yep. to focus, right, to doing one thing for a continued long period of time, Right. When I was in high school, I took six classes in 50-minute intervals with a five-minute break. The six classes I took in one day had nothing to do with each other. It was math and then history and then writing and then mm-hmm. chemistry, right? Six different classes taught by six different teachers. No one knew what I was learning, right, besides me, right? So one teacher didn't know that, I, that this other teacher gave me homework or whatever. You have six different classes taught in 50-minute intervals. Why? That is the least effective thing on the planet. Why don't you just do a year of math? Let's learn math mm-hmm. all day, every day. Let's get depth and mastery and love from it, right? Let's focus on it. And then we'll move on. Next year, we'll learn history. For the whole year, we'll just read all the biographies and we'll talk about stories and you know, we'll look at trends and we'll just focus on history, right? And so and the next question is, so where does that 50-minute class come from? Because it doesn't just exist. Someone invented that. And yeah. again, it was the Prussians in the 18th century. <laughs> can we Arr. can we change it? Like they they, they designed the school yeah. system to, to to make sure that you wouldn't get depth because they didn't want they didn't want people to revolt. 
and they felt that if they taught them, they needed to teach them just enough math so they could be productive, but not yep. so much math that they might overthrow them. That makes well, sense. I mean, yeah, uh, really it's in a bad way, that makes sense. It's, um, it's interesting because I went to – the high school that I went to actually had hour and a half classes for the exact reason that you just talked about. Um, right. But – the flip side was that they still taught the same material. Like they didn't increase the amount that we, it was, it was basically just, well, it was just a longer class where the teacher could get a little bit more in depth in the one lesson you were learning for the day. But at the same time, instead of having kids um, settle down for 10 minutes and then get ready to, and pack up for the last 10 minutes, kids would do it for 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, so w- you still lost time. But part of that I think is um, the, uh, you know, I don't, we, we can, I could chat about education all day because as much as I'm not a teacher, I would honestly love to be one. Um, teachers in, at least in the U S have shit pay, right. um, comparatively across the board. So why would anyone with shit pay really put more time than they already do? And most teachers work 12 hours. They, they have to buy their own, uh, classroom supplies, et cetera. So it's like, in my opinion, if you raise the bar, as to what it takes to be a teacher and you and you put it at the level of that of a doctor or lawyer in which you have to go to yeah. years and years and years of school. And unfortunately, the same thing with that is years and years and years of debt um, to people who actually love doing it. I think you're going to inherently get at least at the core. Right. right. And I'm, when I'm saying the core is the teacher better quality. And then from there, you know, there's a bunch of other shit that needs to change. But um, yeah, I had a few teachers who were really, really good. Um, you know, the teachers that you remember, but few and far between. Because yeah. they're just like, I get paid forty. I grew up in Florida. They're like, I get paid $45,000 a year and I have to be here for 12 hours because I have to grade your papers. And then I also have to buy all you snot-nosed kids tissue papers because the school doesn't give me money. They're like, eh, fuck yeah. it. I don't, you know. It's rough because the other see. The other piece of that too is choice, right? So choosing, you know, you know what you want to learn or you know what you enjoy learning. But a, a system like that with six diverse classes a day at short periods of time yeah. doesn't allow you to do that. And I get that, you know, it, it can turn you into more of a well-rounded, I guess, jack-of-all-trades type person. But in reality, uh, in high school, there were a lot of people that knew what they wanted to learn. They knew what they didn't want to learn. They knew what they did want to learn. So like you said, why can't they do an extended track or a longer thing in math if that's what they wanted to learn? Why does it have to be, nope, you have to do all of these, yeah. and you can't just focus all your time on math? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because, like, there is – there is no enemy in the sense that like I don't actually – I don't blame teachers. I don't blame principals. It's 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 this – it's there, there's like this – the enemy is the system itself and no one, no one is like behind the switch trying to screw everybody out of a meaningful education, right? Yeah. So it's not like – They're just I, doing what's always been done. Exactly, yeah. right? It's just – you know, it's just inertia and I think that it's crazy because inertia is such a powerful force. Once something is done some way some, – some way, it doesn't change naturally. Like there's almost like, you know, it actually impedes innovation in that things are going to stay at rest until a massive force changes them. So it's like, you know, and yeah, I mean, with education, it has to be a t- like just a top-down revolution. Like it can't because it's just it, in every which way it's wrong. Um, and again, like it's not, it's not the principles. It's not the government. It's not, you know, teachers. It's just ineffective and someone needs to – just something it needs to be stripped away. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And it sounds like you're sort of using um, some of your um, ideologies to make Flatiron School like the school you wish you could have went to. Right. That's, um, I, mean, I totally – I think about that all the time that I'm trying to it's – it's like it's selfish and weird, but I'm really trying to save little Avi. 
Um, high school was really <laughs> painful. Like, I, you know, I, I think that there were times when I was really close to suicide and, like, I was just a really sad and hmm. depressed kid. And um, there needs to be – yeah, I just don't want anyone else to go through that experience because, like, my life is great now and I love it every day. But uh, I don't think that that was like a foregone conclusion. There are definitely moments where like it could have gotten very dark and very bad. Um, yeah. Well, there's there's no reason um, that any school or anything should make, should make someone think those things. Yeah. Um, right? Like school shouldn't be – you know, it's – my mom and, – and after this tangent, I'll, we can uh, sort of relate back because I do have some questions about Flatiron. But my mom used to openly say that like, you know, sometimes school isn't for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, Benjamin Franklin didn't finish school. Like stuff like that, right? And if you think about it, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, all like the yeah. current day like famous tech people. None of them finished college, let alone go. But um, – it, it, they should school should never cast people out and make you feel that way. It should be ideally, in my opinion, one big mental playground yeah, um, that you sort of get to stimulate in whatever you feel stimulated. Right. Um, but anyway, so back to Flatiron School because now you're creating the school you wish you could have gone to to save little Avi. Um, what are uh, I, I'm sure there's been some challenges along the way with doing that because you weren't just like, Hey, let's make a school. Everyone come to my garage in my home in the suburbs and we'll make a school. Um, like obviously there's some like physical limitations in New York, but what, what other things like you had, it sounds like you had some, some steam behind you with Skillshare. Yeah. You had a friend, um, who was definitely pushing you along. Sounds like he might've had some of the business side of it down or at least, churning in his brain what were uh, what were some of the other obstacles and challenges you guys had out in front of you um yeah you know honestly it's it, i mean we work really hard like learning how to teach and developing like curriculum and thinking about like our own pedagogy and what our values are is was work but for the most part actually this has been just a real pleasure like i love working with everybody in, at the school and like it's been surprisingly easy <laughs> Um, in really? That, yeah, That's you just, fantastic. You just make up – I mean you know, you show up every day. You, you, you'd be really dedicated and focused. We've gotten a ton of support from the city. Like they just keep on giving us grants. Like they're so supportive of what we're doing. Um, That's great. Yeah. I That's mean, good It's to hear. really been like – I mean the challenges are like that it's hard, that we don't know – that we think – that we ask ourselves really hard questions like what – you know, if grades are total BS, how do we measure people? And what, what do we really value from education? What is the point of all this? What is the, you know, yeah. why be smart, right? What does that do? That ultimately, mm-hmm. education needs to be about a better life, right? And it can't just be about like, oh, you should be, you know, esthete and you should have knowledge and you should know truth. It needs to provide you a better life, which is about possibilities and options. It needs to like awaken, you know, your desire to be something. Um, so how do you teach that? Right. And I mean, it's way more complex than like defining a method, um, because if you teach people how to define a method, that's just voc- that's just a mechanic. Right. It needs to be like inspired with like what I want to build and what my life can be. So, you know, what's hard about, I guess, the challenges in the school is that I think we're really trying to ask ask the really difficult questions with education um, and like, you know, Otherwise, we, we really did just go to Ikea and buy 20 desks and rented a loft and like that was it. I'm not like – you know, Adam, I remember – so once I – so I emailed Adam. I told him here's the plan and he was like, OK, great. We should meet and start writing. We should do like financial projections and a business plan. And I was like, look, no. I don't know if we need a business plan but we definitely need desks. 
we 100% need desks. <laughs> so let's go to Ikea and let's get desks. And we went to Ikea. Yeah. We bought 20 desks. I put them in my apartment. And then like two days later, my living room was just filled with Ikea boxes. And I was like, Adam, we got to get an office. These desks are in my living room and I need them not to be. <laughs> so, so we got an office. How'd you guys get, how'd you guys get the physical office though? So, and I, and so awesome. I asked that because New York city is an interesting beast yeah, so, in that there's tons of space available, but it's expensive. Right. So I, I had, I, again, I was really not sure what this whole experiment was going to yield. So I didn't want to sign a lease. Like I didn't want to lock myself down into a three year commercial real estate lease. So yeah. I knew this broker, this guy, Doug Regal, who's awesome. Um, and I told him what I wanted to do, that I wanted to start a school programmers and that I don't want to sign a lease. And I was like, I need you to find me a really sketchy owner, someone that's going to be willing to take six months rent in cash and not make me sign anything. And he was like, Avi, like those, those, you can't, you can't find that. And I was like, no, you can find it. I want it to be in the Flatiron District also, but like, just find me like a crappy, classy building where I could just talk to the landlord or the owner and just pay them all up front for like a year. And Doug was like, okay, I'll look. And he found this this building on 26th Street with yeah. uh, this this crazy Albanian guy, Osmond, who I met him. And I was like, I gave him like 42 grand in cash. And that's, oh, how, we got, that's how we got the <laughs> was, office. <laughs> did it, uh, was it like uh, – did you do it like super movie-like? Yeah, like a duffel like, bag. In, a duffel bag yeah, or I mean, in a like, nice ca- briefcase? It was cashier's checks. I mean, you know, but, oh, that's mm-hmm. fair. Yeah. You don't, you it's probably know, a lot yeah. easier to carry around. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I told Osman, you know, it was like this really crummy building. It was like totally disgusting, but it worked. You know, it was a big loft that had big building windows. It had no AC. It had one really small bathroom. So, yep. you know, so, okay, we bought the desks. We rented the building. We went to the office. And then, so now we were down like 42 grand. And yep. we, you know, the next thing we needed to do was now collect tuition. So we put up a website. And we had, you know, applied to a Flatiron School. Um, and uh, then people started applying. So we created an admissions process. And we talked a lot about how we were going to interview people that we didn't want to like, you know, I was really against asking for SAT scores or GPA because I don't want to judge people on past performance. Yep. I want to judge people on future potential. And I felt like all those indicators, like GPA and stuff, are about someone's past. And we need to look deeper and think about what, what their future might look like. So we started doing admissions, then we started collecting some tuition deposits, and then I needed to start figuring out a curriculum. And again, I worked backwards. I was like, okay, so I have 12 weeks. If on, on you know, day, day 60, they're, they're going to be employed as a developer, what happened on day 59? What happened on day 58? What happened on day 57? And we started talking about like, you know, making them present at meetups and doing that, that they would blog and they would try to get open source commits and that like, you know, but we, we, we enrolled 20 students and they came in on day one and I gave like an orientation. Actually, I remember what we did on day one. Um, I remember when we came up with this idea too, we were driving to Ikea, New Jersey because we needed to go get, we needed to get stools. So, um, what I, for, for the first day I, I wanted them to start programming right away. And I, I had this like vision that I would like stand up in front of the class with like, you know, a whole bunch of paper and like pretend like we were going to go over like how the day works and have an orientation and that I would just stand up there. And this is actually what I did. I got up there and I was holding like a piece of paper. I was like, okay, everybody like, so everyone sit down, like welcome to school. Um, we're going to spend some time this morning talking about how we work. And then I just tore it up and I was like, all right, fuck it. Let's just start programming. 
and I gave them nice. a deploy on day one project where they had to get up. They had to, they had to launch their student profiles um, via Git, like on that day, and that's what they worked on. And we still do that today. I mean, we don't do the whole show of like ripping up the piece of paper anymore, but uh, we still yeah. have like deploy on day one is like one of our philosophies that if you're going to learn how to code, you should try to get something shipped as soon as possible, and just be yep. a programmer from the first day. Um, so that's how, you know, we started teaching. And I mean, there were days in the first semester where I'd come in and I, I, I didn't have any curriculum, you know, like I'd just be like, okay, guys, like we're going to watch these Rails casts or we're going to watch this conference talk. I just made it up. Like I had like 30 hours worth of curriculum from my Skillshare classes, maybe let's say 60 hours worth of curriculum. But this was a 12-week class, you know. Um, so we just made it up every day. And then it, it after that, they graduated. I, I I started getting them jobs. Like I would go on Twitter and just tweet at all these companies and be like, you have to meet my students. You have to meet my students. And just hustled to get them jobs. And they all got jobs. And then we just did it again and again and again. And that's kind of what we're still doing. Like, you know, it's it's hard in that, like, it's work. Like, we, we, but it's not like, it's gone pretty well. Have you ever seen the movie Accepted? I have. I think about that all the time. Yeah, Dude. great movie. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my god, I love that movie, and it sounds very, you know, uh, it sounds similar in your thinking, and that you know there are different people and po- potential success or just their human potential. I think is a great way. I wish a lot of other schools would do that. Um, but hey, you know, it sounds like you're 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 leading the charge. We do have we're what is it? Forty eight minutes. So we have, I guess, three more questions. Sure. Um, they're more, I guess, uh, introspective and that it's more about you and, and that kind of stuff. But if you could give younger Avi one piece of advice based off of what you know now, what would you, uh, what would you say? Um, huh. One piece of advice. I don't know. Um, I guess I spent a lot of time being very scared and, uh, you should, you shouldn't, you shouldn't like, um, yeah, just don't. It's hard, but uh, just try not to worry. And like everything's work out, and like that's it. No, that's fair. I wish I knew that too. Um, now, this is something I think it might tie into Flatiron School. Um, what advice would you give newcomers? So, let's say you just met me uh, yesterday, and I'm like, I don't know anything about programming, uh, but I think I'd really like it. What advice would you give me? Um, just work really hard. I think that's, like, the biggest piece of advice I'd give anybody. Just have grit. Like, never give up. And, like, you know, the one thing that you can do if you didn't go to college or, you know, you don't have a ton of money and your family's not really well connected, you could just always – you can always work harder than other people. Like, that is within your power to just put in more hours and to put in more focus and to, like, internalize it and make it a part of you that no one can ever take away. Um, whatever you do, programming, design, you know, accounting, I don't care, but, um, just work really hard and like, love it, like, love it, like make it amazing. Yeah. I'm realizing now that when my, you know, when our parents would say you can be anything you want, as long as you work hard at it, they, yeah. to some extent, obviously you can't be, you can't work hard at being seven feet tall. It doesn't really happen, but most anything else you can. And that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I think so Nick's going to hit you with the secret fun time question now. All right. Yeah, so Avi, we did something uh, unique to to the start. Um, we have a secret fun time question that uh, 
kind of has nothing to do with anything we just talked about and uh, just kind of look to get uh, your reaction. But sure. we uh, just touched on Accepted, right? And Justin Long, the main actor there. And I don't know if you're a movie buff, but uh, if Hollywood were to make a movie about your life, which actually seems increasingly possible after speaking with you, um, whom would you like to see play the lead role as you, as Avi? Uh, J- Jason Schwartzman. Oh, yeah, right off the bat. <laughs> Got yeah, it. Sure. That's perfect. Yeah, and he's awesome. Yeah, he is. Oh, man, that's great. I yeah, can see I that. Mean, Rushmore, like, I mean, yeah, Wes Anderson's work was, like, really inspiring to me. Um, like, seeing that kind of aesthetic and, like, um, what he could do with actors and, like, the world that he would envision, just, like, wondrous people who could accomplish anything was, like, a big part of my life. I mean, I remember, like, Rushmore was just, like, so cool. He had all these clubs, but he was awful at school. I thought that was so funny. Perfect. Actually, that's on the dock for me to see um, probably next weekend just to like lounge around and watch. It's a good one. Um, Cool. Well, Avi, thank you for being on the start. Thank you. you. Um, It was inspiring and refreshing. Come by. Stop by Flatiron. Let's hang out. It'll be really fun. Yeah, man. We will. um, Definitely will. We will. Cool.